We're going to transition now to uh, reading our scripture. So if you are, have a Bible or you have the, if you're here present, uh, you can take out your insert. And the scripture reading this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. This is in the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. And again, thank you for joining us online And yeah, we've been in the middle of a series called Ask Anything, and today we are on part five. And we're going to be talking about, does prayer change the mind of God? I remember when Hallie was four, she was sitting at the kitchen table drawing this landscape. You know, there was trees, there was water, and suddenly she started putting these stars in the sky. And then she looked at me and said, Daddy, can you give me all the stars in the sky? And honestly, my my heart melted because that little kid voice, it was so cute. But clearly, she didn't understand who God was. She didn't understand my own limited humanity. I mean, I honestly wanted to go, here you go, Hal. (laughs) But of course... I can't. But kids are like that. They're immature. They don't completely understand God. They don't really understand who we are. Here's some other funny things kids have said. God, I bet it's very hard to love everyone in the whole world because there's only four people in my family and I'm having a hard time. Or God, in school, they told us what you do. What do you do when you're on vacation? Or God, thank you for the baby brother, but I did ask for a pony. Or God, I do really want to be like daddy, but just less hairy. But but doesn't that show how we really do as kids understand, well, misunderstand who God is. 
but we also don't understand who we are in comparison to God. Today I want to show you exactly that. That prayer is connected to how we understand God. It's really a matter of we pray properly when we properly understand who the almighty, holy God is. But it's also connected to how we view ourselves in relationship to God. But at times when we pray, we may feel like God is not listening. We may feel like God is at a distance. You know, in the midst of all the hate and the chaos and the turmoil, we cry out to God and we go, God, change it. And it doesn't change, so why? Did our prayers, were they meaningless? So why even bother pray at all? Well, today, I wanna answer all those questions. And here's a summary of all the questions that you put forward. Number one, can we change God's mind through prayer? Number two, if God knows and controls everything, what is the point of prayer? And number three, what actually happens when we pray? But as you're gonna see, prayer, when it's done right, will change your life. So, question number one. Can we change God's mind through prayer? Can we change the mind of God through prayer? Well, let's start with what actually is prayer. R.C. Sproul says this. Prayer is personal communication with God. Prayer is not magic. God is not some celestial bellhop ready at our beck and call. Right? Ding, 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 ding. God, can you change this in my life? Ding, ding, ding. Can I, can I get that promotion, God? Ding, 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 ding. God, can you eliminate that person over there? No, prayer is not that. Prayer is this dialogue between us and God. So today, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So look with me at Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10, which says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want you to notice this. When it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, the primary concern here is for God. He is the focal point of our prayer. It's God's name. It's God's kingdom coming. It's God's will be done. So if we keep reading, the second petition is this. It's again God's reign. It's that God's kingdom will increase. 
It's that God's will will be accomplished. And to borrow from R.C. Sproul, he says, we need to remember two things when we pray. First, to whom we are speaking. And second, who is doing the speaking. So to whom are we speaking? Well, we are speaking to the Almighty God. The King of the universe. A God that says he is holy. It's a God who knows the beginning from the end. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He is all-knowing. That is who we're speaking to. But who's doing the speaking? Well, it's us. We are not the king of the universe. We are, at times, rebelling against God. We don't hold the world in our hands. In other words, we are nothing in comparison to God. So the question is, can we change God's mind? Well, what would induce God's mind to change? You know, if God was planning something, does that mean that his plans were faulty, that he, meet, he needed to make some kind of correction? Or does it mean that he needs to consult us? Because, you know, maybe we're educated or we have some new thing that we have that God doesn't know about that we can offer him so that, God, you can change your plans. You know, the irony here is my eight-year-old daughter asked me, hey, Dad, what are you preaching on? I said, well, can we change God's mind? She's like, that's easy, Dad. No. Right? Because she understands who she is in comparison to God. But sometimes we approach God and we say, hey, hey, God, we have this new information that you may want to consider because things aren't going so well in my life. God, can you change your mind? Well, the Bible also says that God knows our needs before we ask. He knows our prayer before we even pray it. But know this, God is omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. So in other words, God is not going to get any new information from you that will change his mind. R.C. Sproul says this, God has invited us to come freely into his presence, but we must realize that we are still coming before God. When confronted with the Lord God, omnipotent himself, Who would speak as if to a friend at a baseball game? We may come boldly, but never arrogantly, never flippantly, as if we were dealing with a peer, because we're talking to God. So I guess the question is, what about all those verses that seem to state that God has changed his mind? Great question. 
So one of those examples is in Exodus 32, verse 14, where Moses says, Then the Lord relented. It did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. In other words, Israel was disobeying. And God was saying, hey, if you don't do what I say, disaster is going to come. Another example would be Jonah and Nineveh. God said if they didn't repent, they would be destroyed. So then how do we understand these verses? Well, first of all, there's these translation issues that are happening. That when we translate Greek and Hebrew into English, it doesn't translate perfectly. But secondly, the narrative seems clear that no matter what, God does not change his mind. There's some great examples of when you know, the Bible is translated in which God is speaking to a group of people that has a limited understanding. That, that he's using things in their context to explain who he is so that they can completely understand who God is. So here's an example. When we talk about the sun setting and rising, does it actually rise and set? Literally. The answer is no. But here's the thing, even modern scientists use this ordinary language when they're talking about the sun. Even the weather person is saying on the local TV station that the sun is rising and setting. But if we were to speak literal and get technical, a scientist would say this, that the sun stays in its position at the center of our solar system. It does not rise and set, but it appears to rise and set because the earth rotates on its axis. But, but you see, the Bible does the same thing. It's communicating in such a way at times that it's not literal. The Bible also does this thing called anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism is giving God human characteristics. You could also do that with animals or objects. In this case, when we talk about God having a face or hands or holding the world in his hands, that is anthropomorphic language or if God is coming or going. Yet the Bible also tells us that God is not a man. He does not have human arms, hands, and a face like us. But God communicates this way so we can have this limited understanding of who God is and that he loves us. And so the context in which God is revealing himself, our limited human mind can somehow start to grasp who he is. R.C. Sproul rightfully points out 
The biblical narratives in which God appears to change his mind are almost always narratives that deal with his threats slash warnings of judgment and punishment. Because God doesn't actually change his mind. He's telling his people to repent, to get their lives right before God so that they can know him and love him back. So as you can see, prayer does not change God's mind. So secondly, if God controls and knows everything, what is the point of prayer? What is the point of prayer? Well, look with me again at Matthew 6.10, which says, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does it mean for God's will to be done? Well, there's two aspects to God's will. There's God's sovereign will, in which he is in control. He's in control of creation, history, and the future. It means that he is an all-powerful creator that came down and wants to be with us. He just didn't create the world and abandon it. That God is actively relating and involved in his creation. But the other side of God's will is his will of decree, which means God is willing for us to be obedient to him. That, that means we, we follow his, his laws, if you want to use that term, because it's best for us. That we are to live within the boundaries that he has put forth so that we can be within God's will. Some of the verses that talk about God's sovereign will, if you want to throw them up on the screen, says that his counsel shall stand and I will accomplish, accomplish all my purposes. It says again in the Psalms that in your book were written every one of them, meaning the days that were formed for us. In other words, God's deeply involved in our lives. Which brings us to the question again, if God knows and controls everything, why even bother praying? It's a really good question. Because in the end, it's all gonna work out, right? Well first, there's a number of reasons why we need to pray. Most of all, because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, he went to lonely places and withdrew so that he could communicate with God. Jesus would stay up all night long and pray. Jesus also told his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. Well, why? It's because prayer is how, again, we, we communicate with God. Prayer is how we participate in God's work. Prayer gives us power over evil. Prayer strengthens relationships between believers. 
Prayer gives us the ability to intercede on behalf of someone else. Prayer keeps us humble before God. Prayer grants us the privilege of experiencing God. Prayer does change things. But ultimately, prayer changes us. I want to focus on that point. Prayer changes us. Oh, you know, that that prayer is the mechanism in which God gave us so that we could talk to him about everything that's going on in our life. It's the way that we can become more like Jesus. So as we pray, our spiritual life will grow. We We become changed and transformed. It's because through prayer, we draw closer to God. It's through prayer that we read scripture and apply it to our minds so that it can be renewed, so that our heart can be changed. It's through prayer that we acknowledge who God is. It's through prayer that we discover his intimate love for us. It's through prayer that we are reminded that we are not alone. 1 Peter 5, 7 says exactly that, that we can lay our worries down to him because he promised to take care of us. As it is written, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. So then why does God not answer all our prayers? Well, 1 John 5.14 answers that question It says that we can approach God confidently, but we need to ask anything according to his will, and he will answer it. According to his will. 1 John 3.22 says, whatever we ask, we receive for him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. So why does God not answer all our prayers? Well, the answer is it's because it's not according to his will. And a lot of time, if if we're honest, a lot of our prayers are, are more about us. It's more about me wanting something. It's more about, God, you change this so my life is easier. It has nothing to do with what God wants to accomplish in us and wherever he has placed us. So scripture says the reason God doesn't answer all our prayers is is actually for our benefit. Could you imagine if God answered every one of our selfish prayers? Because prayer is more about receiving from God and then releasing what is not from him. Prayer is about receiving the truth, the word, applying it to our heart and then releasing all the things that entangle us and trip us up and keep us from doing exactly what he wants us to be doing. 
And unfortunately, sometimes through prayer, some things need to die. Some things need to be let go of so that we can truly submit to Christ. And through prayer, we can become healthier so that other people can really see who Christ is. You know, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary, and it was awesome. But I was thinking back to 20 years ago. And, you know, to be honest, I thought I knew everything about marriage, right? You know, we loved each other, things were going well, and then about a year in, I realized, nope, I don't know much at all. And there's these two strong-willed individuals trying to make marriage work. One of the things that we had to learn was we really needed to be a student of the other person before we, we could actually love them well. You know, Megan needed to become a student of Steve. Steve needed to become a student of Megan. And there was this one revealing time is, is I was helping her clean in the kitchen and suddenly she's like, stop, but I'm loving you. Now, love me differently. Go get me a gift. Give me a hug, give me a kiss. No, I'm sweeping the floor for you. No, (laughs) I can do a better job than you, stop. And what was revealed to me is I really didn't understand my wife. And you know, the same thing happened to me. She's like, hey, I'm loving you, I'm I'm giving you a gift. I'm like, I don't want a gift. I want you to affirm me and love me in a way that I actually feel valued. We had to be students of each other. You know, many times when I'm counseling couples, the exact same thing happens, is they have no idea how to love the other person well. And it always comes to, I I am loving you. And the person's like, no, you're not. And what I find is if someone doesn't submit to what the other person needs, the relationship breaks because they haven't learned to selfishly give up what they want to love the other person well. But this happens to us in our relationship with God. We, we tend to hold on to what we want, right? You know, our, our pride, our pet sins, our selfishness, and then we convince ourselves that we're loving God well. I love you. You know, we may show up at church. We may watch the service every week. Hey, but we're holding on. This is why we need to become students of God who love him well. That God gives us direction on how to live and that this obedience is connected to knowing God. And when we truly know him, we we turn a corner and we want to love him. It doesn't feel like duty. It feels like this life-giving relationship because we know he is God and we are not. 
So how do you know if what you want is what God wants? You know, your desires, your decisions. Well, the question is, is what does God say about your thoughts and desires? And this is why he gave us scripture so we could read it and compare notes. Does this line up with what God is saying? Or is this really what I want? In the end, if you follow it through, it causes damage in relationship, in our relationship between God and others. But if we discover that obedience, the, the will of the Father, and line up with that, our life is transformed. George Mueller says this, I will seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone, without the Word, I lay myself open to a great delusion also. If the Holy Spirit guides us all, he will do it according to to the scriptures and never contrary to them. So what what I'm saying is, if we truly want to know the will of God, ah, be careful that it's just not prayer, just not you talking with God, but you bringing in scripture and comparing. Otherwise, you could be led astray by your own thoughts. That every time God's will lines up with scripture. Richard Foster says this, And as we are learning to pray, we discover an interesting progression. In the beginning, our will is in the struggle with God's will. You know, we beg, we pout, we demand, and we expect God to perform like a magician or show us blessing like the Father Christmas. You know, we major in instant solutions and manipulative prayers. But in time, however, we begin to enter into a grace-filled releasing of our will and a flowing into the will of the Father. It is the prayer of relinquishment. I can't even say it. Relinquishment that moves us from the stuffing to the releasing. Then he goes on to say, do you know what the great freedom, this crucifixion of the will is? It means freedom of the self-sins, self-sufficiency, self-pity, self-absorption, self-abuse, self-deprecation, self-exaltation, self-indulgence, self-hatred, and a host of others just like them. It means freedom from the everlasting burden of always having to get your own way. It means freedom to care for others, to genuinely put their needs first, to give joyfully and freely. Remember that we are dealing with the crucifixion of the will. And crucifixion always has resurrection. Isn't that good? Even if I botched it, isn't it good? 
So once again, to answer the question, if God knows and controls everything, what is the point of prayer? Well, prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. So lastly, what happens when we pray? What happens when we pray? Well, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. In verse 11, it says, give us this daily bread. Give us this daily bread. So what happens? We learn to depend on God for our daily bread. And next, and we learn to forgive us our debts. We learn to come before God and lay down our sins so that we can receive forgiveness. But we also learn to forgive our debtors. That, that, this is what happens. We learn to forgive other people. If we keep reading, we learn not to give in to temptation, but we learn what deliverance is from evil. But verse 14 is a bit of a warning for us all. It says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Why? It's because we don't understand what God has done for us. That so often we want to receive forgiveness, but we don't want to give it to others. It's a sign that the gospel of grace hasn't taken root in our own heart. It shows us that we have not recognized the cost of our own forgiveness. So this is exactly what happens when we pray. We start to learn what it means to follow Jesus in all areas of our life. But also worship happens. Prayer is about praising him. Prayer is about learning to develop a life that honors God. It's moving from our immaturity to our maturity. It's learning to insert truth into our own heart and mind. It helps us know God and what he's done for us. About 10 years ago, I was going through a really difficult time. And I remember needing to pick up something at the grocery store, and I was in the parking lot, and there was London Drugs, you know, there was Starbucks, there was Future Shop back then, yes. And I remember just giving, getting this overwhelming sense of who God was in my struggle. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard God say, I got this. He said, you are not God, Steve. You need to let go. And in that moment, I felt the presence of God in a powerful way. And I also was reminded that I am nothing in comparison to God. I felt more like an ant. 
But I also was reminded that this is just a blip of time and God is in control. And in that moment, I fell to my knees and I started to pray and give him the praise that he deserved. But honestly, we don't really learn to pray until we are going through difficulty. We need to come to the end of ourselves before we start to understand who God is and we are nothing in comparison to him. Maybe the question is, is are we actually desperate enough to pray? What, what needs to happen in our own hearts and minds in our lives before we spend time bringing these things to God? But here's the good news. Do you know where Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer? It was this critical point in history. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he was sweating drops of blood in prayer before the Father. He was in agony. Why? Because he was going to die for us. It says that he fell to the ground in prayer before the Father. But here's the cool thing is Jesus didn't actually finish the prayer in that garden. He finished it on the cross before he was gonna die and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is why we need to understand who God is. That he loved you so much that he gave his son so that you could pray so that you could have this relationship with him and bring to him all the the difficulty, all the struggle, so that you can be transformed, so that you can turn from your ways in repentance. Repentance just means this, that your mind would be changed about God. And because your mind is changed, your actions change. And that's why God loved you so much that he sent his son to die. That he took our place. That he paid the price that we should be paying because We chose to live a life our own way in immaturity because we thought we were better than God. And when we repent, we start to face God. And we start to recognize that he is better. We start to receive everything that he has for us. But here's the thing, God did not change his mind. His plan was perfect. God is not Santa Claus. God is not a puppet to be manipulated. God is not your boss. 
But God is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords who sent his son for you so that you can approach the throne of an almighty God. So to summarize, can we change God's mind through prayer? The answer is no. If God knows and controls everything, what is the point of prayer? Well, prayer changes us. Well, what happens when we pray? Well, worship happens when we pray. This morning, I want to end the service with exactly that. I want to spend some time worshiping the Almighty God. I have no idea what God wants to do with this time. And so my challenge to you is to talk to God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then they will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is what our culture needs. This is what we need. We need to humble ourselves. We need to turn from that self-absorbed lifestyle to a holy God. So right now I'm gonna invite the worship team up. I just wanna spend some time worshiping and praying. First, we're just gonna spend a minute in personal prayer. We're gonna tell God who he is. We're gonna praise him. And then as a congregation, we're going to uh, respond with a congregational prayer, and then we're gonna sing. And then we're gonna do that pattern a couple times, but just let God work in your life. My prayer is that you would truly see who he is. Maybe there's some humbling, some repentance that needs to happen. But this is a special time between you and God. So let's pray right now. Just tell God who he is. Praise his name.